Thanks so much for joining us and for tuning in to the Steeple Church podcast. Our hope as you listen in is that you might encounter Jesus, hear and receive his love, and be encouraged and empowered by his spirit to be and bring life and love to one another and to the other in your world. If you would like to get in touch with us or keep up to date with what's happening in and through the life of Steeple Church, please jump on to our website at steeplechurch.com.au or follow us on the socials via Facebook or Instagram at steeple.church. We're looking forward to meeting you one day soon, but in the meantime, enjoy the message. Bless you, fam. Well, hello, good people. My name is Will Small, if we haven't met before, and it is a real joy to be um, collaborating with Steeple Church and the Hinterland Chapel um, to begin uh, this year looking at themes around rest and Sabbath and the invitation to start the year, um, you know, at a different at a different pace. Uh, I am here on Dark and Young Country on the central coast of New South Wales. I lead a, a small uh, alternative kind of faith community called Meeting Ground and um, host a podcast out of that space called Spiritual Misfits. Uh, but feel a lot of affinity with your two communities, feel like there's a lot of shared heart and so uh, great to be able to partner together uh, at the beginning of this year. Well, during my undergraduate degree, uh, I did a minor in film studies. Um, I thought that I needed to add something a little bit more practical to my English and philosophy majors. Um, And one of the most memorable films that I watched during um, three years of going to a lecture theatre turned cinema and pretending that... um, you know, this was somehow part of an academic pursuit rather than just the easiest way to pass the time while at uni. Um, we watched this film called Kaio Nascazzi. It's a 1982 uh, cult classic that has no plot line, um, but essentially is just comprised of a series of sweeping kind of beautiful footage um, of scenes of natural landscapes, cliffs, mountains, you know, sort of these vast rocky spaces. Um, and as the, as the film progresses, uh, it kind of transitioned to these scenes of increasing industrialization, sped up time-lapse shots of kind of life in urban spaces, factories, you know, um, escalators. Um, the film has this iconic, eerie soundtrack by Philip Glass. And the only word used throughout the whole film is Kion Nescazzi, sung in this deep, hypnotic tone kind of over and over again. And Kayonaskatsi is a word from the, the Hopi language, uh, First Nations um, language, and it translates into life out of balance. Life out of balance. I wonder how many of us can relate to the sense of Kayonaskatsi. Um, I kind of find it funny to think about this film being made in 1982, um, a time that was pre-iPhone, pre-internet, pre-chat GTP, pre-24-7 news cycle, social media, all the things that feel like they crowd our lives today. Um, And yet a a bird's eye view on the human condition still very much showed life out of balance. And you can zoom a lot further back through history and find the same sort of sentiment Uh, Seneca, an ancient Greek philosopher born in 52 BC, bemoaned how easily distracted humans can be, how much time um, can be wasted. And he, he said, you become what you give your attention to. 
I mean, what was there to distract people back then? That was 2,000 years before our current age of the attention economy, um, which we now live in. But maybe that just demonstrates that technological upgrades haven't come with an automatic upgrade of the human heart. Uh, our ability to, to have our attention pulled in many directions, to be distracted, to feel that we are out of balance, to feel that we are moving kind of fast and slow at the same time. Maybe that's always been a part of the human condition. The battle for our attention is more sophisticated than ever now with surveillance capitalism constantly striving to feed us more personalised nudges, gradually shaping us more and more into the image of good consumers uh, rather than into the image of our good creator. But perhaps this battle for attention, even if it may have been less sophisticated in previous eras of human history. Perhaps this has always been a key part of the struggle to be human. Um, here's another way uh, of framing it from the great Mary Oliver, one of my favourite poets. She said, attention is the beginning of devotion. Attention is the beginning of devotion. I find that to be a really beautiful sentence and sentiment, but also a pretty confronting one. There's this beautiful invitation there that when we rest our attention on the person we are with or the place we are in or the body that we've received or we rest our attention on, on the God whom maybe we are trying to follow, we can turn our heart in the direction of a loving devotion, an attention that shapes us into the kind of people we want to become, uh, receiving the good gifts of the moment that we are in and, and the God who gives them. But at the same time, that sentence can be a real reality check. If attention is the beginning of devotion, what then does our attention say about what we are devoted to? Since the days of ancient Egyptian slavery, I think we've been creating new masters, new slave drivers, uh, new gods that demand our devotion and, and captivate our attention, uh, the market, the economy, the hustle, the grind. It's hard to resist the allure of these systems of often economic exploitation um, when we have thousands of years of, of practicing measuring the worth of human souls based on productivity, based on KPIs, based on getting more done more efficiently so we can do more more efficiently, for the sake of doing more, more efficiently, that hamster wheel never really ends. This is so pervasive and often comes to us in apparently well-meaning ways that it's easy to be drawn into. You know, at the beginning of a new year, there's that phrase that gets thrown around, new year, new you. There's all those new year's resolutions, all those uh, promises that this will be the year, that will be your year. Um, and I'm just as guilty as anyone of deluding myself around this time of year that I'm going to be able to absolutely reprogram uh, my nature and become some sort of productivity beast and, and write the novel and, you know, change the world and um, start 10 new projects and... Um, not just be feeling heaps ashamed in a few weeks when I'm back to my old ways. 
um, I've been thinking about, you know, one of the, the many kind of wild things about AI um, and sort of our current moment is how quickly it learns and improves. You know, this phrase machine learning. Uh, machine learning has created this exponential curve in the way digital technology is outpacing us. But for better or worse, human learning is very different to machine learning. Human learning is slow. Human learning is often cyclical. We often need to come back to the same things again and again. Uh, we don't just change our nature because the calendar, um, you know, clocks over one day. When human learning is actually learning, it is often characterized by failure, by frailty, by um, confrontation with our limits rather than revelation about our limitlessness. So I want to say to you, what if instead of starting January or starting the early days of a new year with the expectation that this year you are going to become some sort of new and improved version of yourself, what if you began by embracing your limitations, your humanness, your smallness, maybe like the beginning of, uh, of dealing with some of that kaioniskatsi, that life out of balance, is to actually remind ourselves about who we are, about the fact that we are creatures, that we are created ones, that we actually can live into a rhythm of, of rest and work and play and creativity. I have a bit of an unfair advantage. My last name, Small, is literally a daily reminder that I am not a big deal, no matter how hard I try to convince myself otherwise. Um, but it is a gift. Smallness, limitation, finitude, these are actually glorious things because these come um, not just with permission to, but with a requirement to rest. Um, it's actually something that we can only run away from. Uh, for so long. And God, in all of God's creative wisdom, has designed literally everything in, in creation, everything in the cosmos, to be living into these rhythms of, of work and rest, of contraction and expansion, of, of play and then creativity, of doing and being in, in harmony with each other. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that humans are the only creatures in all of creation that actively try to convince ourselves that this rhythm, this seasonal nature of life that is woven into everything is something we could somehow graduate from or transcend or no longer need to participate in. I think we need constant reminders that, that rest is not the end point. It is not a reward to earn. It is not just a consequence of our exhaustion. Rest is the soil from which things grow. It is the first statement of our worth, not found in, uh, in achievement, but in participation. Um, there's no need for a new year, new you, because if you're here, you are already a gift. You are already a grace held within grace. Even if we nod our heads to this idea, I do think, as I've been saying, we need reminding again and again. I know I need reminding. I need to loop back to this maybe once a week or so. Um, maybe there's some sort of wisdom in that. Um, we need invitation again and again. And thankfully, invitations abound. 
I want to read to you from Isaiah 55. Um, might not read the whole chapter, but there are there are sections here that speak so beautifully of this invitation into participation, uh, into the created order, uh, without having to earn your place in it, without having to achieve anything. Uh, so, uh, chapter 55 in the book of Isaiah begins, Come all you who are thirsty. The only criteria for coming is that you are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. In, in the kingdom painted um, here, uh, you can come as you are. You don't have to be <clears throat> those who have in order to receive. This is a place that even the have-nots are invited to receive. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? I mean, is that a, a word to hustle culture or what? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. Uh, as the chapter goes on, uh, we actually have this famous verse, which I think is interesting to reflect on this context. Um, but it says, uh, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. In general, I've heard that verse used to kind of justify some spiritual manipulation where somebody maybe is thinking uh, about a question that is forbidden or um, is maybe, you know, uh, yeah, having some questions around the nature of, of God as some sometimes painted. And we have this verse that God kind of cryptically says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. But I wonder if in this context, the whole point is that often our thoughts are around needing to earn, needing to do, needing to achieve in order to be invited. And actually what, what God is saying is that um, God's thoughts and ways are, are built on the grace that if you are here, then you are invited here. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. And what if these words about all those beautiful things happening is actually saying that this begins when you acknowledge that you do not control things, that you are not God, that you actually have permission to be fully human with your limitations, with your smallness, with your finitude, that you can get off the hustle train, that you can let go of any concept of a new year, new you, that you can actually just accept that as you are, here you are, you are loved, you are invited, you are welcomed, and this is the place that when we rest in, when we dwell in, life bursts forth from. 
thorn bushes grow. Um, uh, thorn bushes are replaced with the juniper. Um, instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. You know, I wonder if so often uh, our, our attempts to run away from rest, and this is not just an individual thing, this is a societal thing, this is a species thing, but our attempts to run away from rest, our attempts to be the most productive and efficient seem to be creating so many problems for us. Um, and yet, maybe in this sort of ironic, upside-down kingdom that we are invited into, rest is actually the, it is the birthplace of good soil from which beautiful things grow. I want to finish uh, just this, this short message um, with a suggested practice for you um, and then uh, a poem. I'm a poet and I can't help sneaking a poem in uh, wherever I, I get the chance. But um, first, the practice. Um, for me, when I think about Sabbath, when I think about rest, it is an ongoing pursuit. It is all an ongoing practice. Um, each week I try to Sabbath, not because I'm great at it, but because I know that I want to become practiced, versed at it. Um, but one of the things that I do, um, both as a part of a weekly Sabbath practice, but also as part of a daily participation in, in the rest that is offered, um, is I just try and have a really simple practice of uh, identifying things I'm grateful for. This isn't rocket science, this is super basic, but every morning, and I do this either in a journal just by myself, or I do this in a conversation with my kids, we identify three things we're grateful for that morning. And that can be, you know, uh, I got some sleep last night, I have a beautiful cup of coffee here in my kitchen, and... Um, the birds are singing out the window. It can be so simple, but uh, I find that doing this is one of the, the big things that shifts my mentality from being on that, that doing train into being. Gratitude grounds us in, well, what is already here? What is already enough for me? Rather than that, you know, uh, waking up and just writing a to-do list. I find that gratitude is, is more like a to-be list rather than a to-do list. So that's my practice that I would suggest to you. If you don't have some sort of intentionality around that, if you have kids, have that conversation with them every morning. What, what are our three gratefuls? Let's go around. Or, you know, you might be scared of doing uh, journaling because it seems like a big deal, but this is literally jotting down um, three very short uh, lines. Or you can, you can just, um, you know, say them out loud. But I encourage you, if you want to, enter rest, one practice that can be really helpful is gratitude. Um, and, and I should say that gratitude does not close us off to or bypass our grief. Often the gratitude that I am experiencing is interwoven with and intermingled with um, the grief and struggle of life. So I'm not advocating for a practice that disconnects us from the difficult stuff. Rather, it grounds us within whatever season we're in, in a sense that to be here, to be uh, breathing is a grace um, in all seasons. Um, so this poem I want to read to you as a, as a closing thought is called How to Be Human, and it kind of taps into um, some of these very themes that... I've been sharing. Let me just find it.
how to be human. Most of it happens without thought. The blood pumping, the breath drawing, the neurons firing. Other bits take a little practice. Relinquishing control, respecting limits, getting up after you fall. There are advanced movesets, forgiving enemies, accepting yourself, landing a backflip. But much of it is easier than you'd think. Breathe more deeply, eat more slowly, avoid peak hour traffic. Many gurus will tell you how to get there. Many marketers will make you feel you aren't. But the truth is, you've already arrived. And all you have to do is keep being. So my friends, on that note, whatever your year looks like, whatever goals, dreams, plans you have, and it's okay to have those things. None of this is to say that you can't have um, dreams that you pursue with intention. Um, but whatever this year may hold for you, how about you start it from a place of embracing your finitude, embracing your limitations and recognizing that there is a goodness in knowing that even though you may be small, you are here. And that is a gift. Bless you, my friends, as you go. Thanks again for tuning in to the Steeple Church podcast. We hope you were encouraged as you listened in. As I said at the top of the podcast, we loved having and hosting you in this way, but we'd love to hear from you and pray for you. So please drop us a line via our website or better yet, if you're local to Melbourne, drop in on one of our Sunday gatherings, 10 a.m. every Sunday in the Hall of St. Barnabas Anglican Church at 86 Bourne Road, Bourne. Peace and love, friends. Have a great week.